Welcome to Good Rookies Podcast. My name is Fahim. My name is Nellie J, and we are Good Rookies. Rookies. <laughs> Guys, this is episode number three, y'all. We're very excited. We have some special guests tonight. Fahim, please introduce our guest today. <laughs> uh, this is a privilege right now. So, we have some special guests. We have some brothers of Nellie J, who have come to bless us tonight. Uh, with their uh, their insight regards to sports and just life. So what I want to do first of all is um, I want to quickly go over my uh, meeting Nellie J real quick. So um, <laughs> here's the reason. What? Yes, ten years ago, um, I there's a sports conversation happening, and I just remember her throwing out something along the lines of watch out for Ty Lawson. He's going to be a player. And I scratched my head and I was like, did she just say Ty Lawson? At the time, Ty Lawson was just, you know, a decent college player. But just even to know who Ty Lawson was, I was like, okay, she really knows her stuff. So the reason why I give that background is uh, tonight we have two people who, uh, have been with her from day one, understanding her sports and uh, just being in that conversation of life with her. So I just want to really introduce them and see if uh, you guys can just give a background in regards to not only what you do now, but also give us a little background in regards to your relationship in regards to a sports story that you might have with Nellie J, because we all know that she's someone that we respect in regards to her mind for sports. So our first guest, we have Benarge. Let's welcome Bernard to the show. Bernard, Bernard, Bernard. Pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, um, so I guess an introduction of myself. So that, yeah. that would be great, yeah. All right, so uh, my name is Benaj. Uh, currently, I am in nonprofit, but I just started a nonprofit business called uh, The Way. It's a podcast, and I do a lot of financial literacy, relationships, and um, philanthropy type of work on there. And I'm just a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. Um, so yeah, if you want me to give a story about Nelly, I can do that now too, if you'd like, or. Oh yeah, most definitely, oh, please okay. do. So, um, so Janelle is my big sister, even though that I treat her like my little sister, but she's my big sister. She does. And um, you know, the story I have of her was back in high school. Uh, all of us in high school played basketball. My older brother played basketball, my oldest brother played basketball, I played basketball, and Nellie J played basketball. And I remember I was watching her in one of her games and I was just so impressed. I'm like, yo, this girl has the heart of a champion, eh? Like she just had this drive that I'm like, okay, that's got to be something deep down because whether or not she wasn't always the best shooter, she wasn't the best dribbler, she wasn't the best passer, but she was proficient in all three and she was able to score whenever she wanted to. And if you got her mad, watch her defense on you. She would <laughs> shut you down. I was like, yo, this girl, I hope that she plays in the pros, but again, she was too smart in school, so she went the book route instead, even though she was an athlete. But I remember watching her games and just being impressed with how my little, my big little sister uh, was always dominating <laughs> on the court. So that's my story about her. Nice, nice. Uh -huh. uh, next, we have Sherard. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, Sherard, Sherard, I'm 100% going to take the, the simple route. Um, I'm Sherard Ward. I'm, you know, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be invited onto the podcast uh, to share my thoughts and insight. Uh, banker by day, 
gamer by night. <laughs> but um, <laughs> out of out of all those those um titles, the uh, that is my is my favorite. That's the one I hang my hat on. I'm always rocking out at, at home with the family, and you know, making sure my my two little girls get the best that life has to offer. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a backstory on me. Uh, Janelle in sports. And, and what's what's great about a question about Janelle is, is the history, right? Like when you have so much history with someone, it could literally just just be anything. But I, I think the the dopest memories, um, you know, I can harken back to with Janelle in sports is is football Sundays. Like yo, <laughs> you, you, like the 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 thing that you guys have to to put in perspective is you know, how football Sundays are treated um, in a masculine way. Like, you know, you'll you'll see tweets or you'll see commentary about guys saying, like, put your girl on notice. It's football Sunday. Don't call me. Don't talk to me. Don't whatever, because it's, you know, football's on, the game's on. You know, lock it off. Leave me alone. You try calling Janelle on football Sunday. <laughs> okay. You try calling Janelle on football. And that's what oh. it is. Like she, it, it's, there's no difference. Um, there's no difference in her attitude towards sports um, than that of any man that I know any walk of life. You know, mm-hmm. just the same way you mentioned her bringing up Ty Lawson. She has the knowledge. She has that depth where it comes to sports and she treats sports like she's like, you know, you have some girls who are knowledgeable, but they're still, you know, feminine about it. Mm-hmm. Janelle is not that. You know, like <laughs> when when wow. when when you call on Sunday after one p.m., what do you want? It's not oh, it's not. I'm on my way. Uh, just buzz me in. If it's not anything related to what we're what we're we're about to do, game related, I'm banging the phone on you. Get off my phone. We'll talk later. <laughs> so, and and that and that is the personality. That is that is who that woman is when it comes to to sports. And yeah, that's my backstory. Nice, nice. Wow, nice. guys, that's a throwback. But yes, football, football, football. That was me on Sunday, man. <laughs> that was me. That yeah. Gerard knows, especially yeah. Like, um, yeah. So no, thanks, guys. Honestly, like, but Fahim said, like. I became into sports because in my house, I had three brothers, everyone watched sports. So like you either you watch sports or you die. Like you have no choice. <laughs> so like when I was like three or four or five, you know, growing up in a house of boys, like you, I, I learned to love sports. So I appreciate my, because my brothers gave me the confidence to talk about sports too, right? So right. It's, a, it, it's a blessing. So thanks, Gerard. Thanks, Bernard. Appreciate y'all no. coming on the podcast tonight. <laughs> no, no doubt. Um, so actually, we'll go to some zoned in, zoned out. Um, first, let's get into the NFL. Uh, the NFL, uh, season just about to start right now. Um, what's your take on regards to the NFL starting up right now in today's climate? Um, I'll go first. The NFL doesn't give a F about, like, they want that money. <laughs> they want their games. So, like, they're making it happen. Like, hmm. no one thought they could make it happen. But the NFL, like, guys, if the MLB can play – not in a bubble, so can we, right? So, I mean, MLB had some issues, and, you know, some teams, I think, kind of stopped playing. But the NFL, like, hey, you do or you die. So make sure your, your, your team is right, because we're going to have a league this year. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening. <laughs> Bernard? 
Well, I mean, I think that the NFL is a money making. Well, I know the NFL is a money making business, and they have endorsements, they have TV deals, so it's in their best interest to have something on the field, some type of product, whether it's even half the fans, whatever they're going to do, they're going to do it because the money needs to keep flowing. And like other sports, the NFL is based on TV deals. That's like their biggest entry. Those are nonprofit organizations. So they need to make revenue from all of those areas. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to do it. Uh, there's a lot of variables because of the coaching, the different types of teams, all of the players There's 53 people on a team. Like, you're not going to be able to keep up with that. And it's going to be COVID absences. So I want to see how they deal with it, but they're going to try. So I, I hope that it works, but I, I'm very skeptic that it will. Gerard? I think for me, um, the NFL, is, is, it's, uh, it's kind of a weird comparison, but, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm supposed to be sending my kid back to school. Do I believe <laughs> that she's going to make it through the school year? I'm, I'm probably a good 95% that that's not going to happen. And that's kind of how I look at the NFL. It's, it's, it's that idea that something has to happen. We have to do something. We have to put players out on the field and we have to give it a shot. Whether that shot, you know, makes sense in the long term, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it when we get there. But to, to Bernard's point when he said uh, about, you know, COVID players kind of like this guy's out due to COVID related issues. Some next guy's going to come in and, you know, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to the season to see how long they can keep it up, if they can keep it up, or if it flops altogether. So I want to ask, with Tampa Bay right now, making a lot of moves and being, like, the place to be, uh, what's the chances? What do you guys think? I think they have a – their offensive, like, team right now, they, they're – they're positioning Tom Brady to be successful in, in, on that team. Like, that coach getting Gronk, Fournette today. Like, these guys are making plays for Tom. Like, they're, they want him to be successful. So, already in the offseason, they made strategic picks, and they're building a right team. So, if that's what they're doing in the offseason, I'm, I'm very excited to watch Tampa Bay play. And, again, I said, hopefully they can play in New England because Cam versus Tom, that would be awesome to watch. But – no, the Bucks are looking real good. Minaj. Man, I am a Tom Brady. I guess I'm a fan when he's beating people. <laughs> but um, now that he's in Tampa Bay, I kind of want to just see him win because he's, he, he's so driven, right? Um, they remind me of a fantasy football team. Like, they're literally just putting pieces together to build the best product to go on the field. And they always had a defense. You know, Tampa Bay had a defense going in from last season. So now that they've added offense with Tom, with Gronk, with, I think, Fournette coming through, like, they're literally now just has to be chemistry-related. If their chemistry is good, which Tom Brady will make sure that it is, I know that guy, they're going to be a powerhouse um, to be reckoned with in the NFC. So I'm looking forward to it, and they're in a tough, con they're in a tough conference. I mean, the NFC is going to be a tough conference. So mm -hmm. I think they're going to be the team to beat in the NFC, to be honest. I don't see them losing. <laughs> sure. The, the question always comes in if you, you give someone one shot, you know, to do something, are you going to get it done? And that's kind of how I look at this. Like, you know, Tom Brady is obviously on the back end of his career. If anyone says, you know, I foresee him going another five seasons, it's kind of like, you know, like how, right? But we, we have this guy who's the greatest quarterback of all time, and we have one shot to do it. Let's build this team and get it done. And I mm -hmm. think that's what Tampa Bay is doing. They're putting together a product that, 
clearly says without a shadow of a doubt, we're going to try and win a Super Bowl right now. Whether that's going to happen or not remains to be seen, but that's the whole concept. Let's put all the our chips in together. Let's get the best guys out there to go along with, with, with Brady and let's deliver let's deliver a Super Bowl. So how what's your percentage that the season doesn't get to the end? Like what's the odds you think that, that we don't get to the uh, to the finish line and just get to Super Bowl? I think the NFL is gonna be like do or die. If you're sick, then you're out. Like I don't think the NFL will leak I think it's like a survivor mode right now. It's like, you know, Survivor Island. It's like, if your team gets sick, bye. Who's like, I don't think the NFL cares. <laughs> They're going to end the season with the team. <laughs> like, I, I'm laughing. It feels, it feels the so last bad. Standing. But it's like Survivor. It's like NFL slash Survivor. Like, if you get COVID, you're off. You're out. Who cares? Who's next? Like, if I'm telling you, the worst team can win a ring this year because the NFL doesn't give a flying F. Like, they mm-hmm. want... They want to commit to all their contracts. So if you get sick, whatever, on to the next, right? So I think this year they're going to end regardless. It could be a, a team of five players. They're having a game somehow. <laughs> Bertie. <laughs> I mean, I think the likelihood is very slim. I mean, I'd give them 30% uh, to make it through an entire season. So they have a 70% chance to get all the way through. But that 30%, I just feel like that's... It's not a guarantee. I mean, they're, they're going to try. And I think with COVID, the best thing is that if you're prepared for it, you can actually put things in place to prevent the spread. And they now know that they have to prevent it the way the bubble did it, the way the, you know, the WNBA is doing it, MLB. So they're seeing a lot of people do this. So this shouldn't be a surprise to them. However, the volume of players, they have the most players. So it's going to become a, a numbers game. And at that point, like you said, Nelly, it's going to be survivor. It will be. And there will be teams that will be out for two weeks just because they have two or three COVID cases on offense or defense. Like, it's going to be a thing. Bye. One team, yeah. Super yeah. not going to care. That's yeah. too so, bad. <laughs> so I, I think they have a 30% chance of not making it and a 70% chance of making it. So I'm, 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 with, you. Not, I'm with you. I'm with, like, 30 20% uh, of not making it. Uh, we are in the time where they're talking about uh, a wave. What's it? Uh, stage two, wave two of this COVID yeah, situation. Yeah, second wave. Yeah. And the season falls in the middle of this, you know, proposed second wave. So, and these are cities that the first wave hit hard. So, I, don't, I just don't see it. Um, I guess time will tell. But I do agree that they're going to go to every length possible to make sure that they have a Super Bowl. Right? Um, Sure, real quick. Uh, did you have anything um, about uh, the percentage? Yeah, like I, I'm with the whole the whole. Actually, maybe I'm I'm more closer to fifty fifty than I am seventy thirty. But right. um, I I think you know to the point everyone was mentioning, your COVID's going to happen. You know, players are going to get affected. Staff is going to get affected. I think the way the NFL is going to do it to the point uh, Nelly was making about Survivor. Whereas if someone on the staff gets it or someone on the team gets it, they're going to remove that person isolated and try to run with the show, right? But if those numbers keep increasing for other players on the team, then you're going to have to shut whole teams down. And that's where the domino effect is going to take place, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I look at it, the NFL is going to try and, you know, if someone gets COVID at a school, the school is kind of shut down, right? 
But the way the NFL is going to do it, if one person gets it, let's isolate that person, take them out and keep, you know, continue on with the show, mm -hmm. which I think may work or fail big time in the long run. So what we're speaking about of being affected, um, did NCAA, they're having the same issue also in regards to they're about to start up right now. Uh, there's talks of possibly not even having a March Madness um, and uh, NCAA football starting. Um, it's a little bit different because they're not professionals, they're students. So there's a trade-off there in regards to education and play. Um, but what's your take in regards to the NCAA and their financial situation and how this can affect them also? Um, I would say the NCAA, I forgot where I read it, but the, the majority of schools, especially in, in Texas and especially in other certain schools, most of their revenue comes from like their teams and the NCAA brings in a lot of revenue to these like universities and these colleges um even for players to get scouted for next year's draft right if they don't play this year who's like what what's the draft pick for next year like how they draft players for the NBA and NFL it will be a domino effect it will affect not only the NCAA but pro leagues as well for from for all sports so I feel like the NCAA like I think Bernie mentioned it as well and Sherrard that they, they're seeing the bubble. They're seeing how other pro leagues are, 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 are finding a way to have a league. So I'm hoping that they're studying these other pro leagues and saying, you know what, if we don't do something this year, it will affect everyone, right? So they're going to have to figure something out themselves because I, I feel like if they don't have any teams or any games, it's going to affect a lot of revenue for that school, for the student, and their potential um, in getting into the, into the NBA NFL in the future. So I hope they have something, to be honest. Yeah. Bernard? Well, I'll give you guys some quick numbers. So the Power Five conferences, right? That's the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC. They are responsible for around 65 teams, right? And those 65 schools, basically, they have a football program where they can actually make revenue off of football money as well as NCAA basketball. But the NCAA basketball is their big revenue, like Nelly J said, like they, that's literally a, a billion dollar business, right? In 2017, that was a $1.2 billion TV deal that the NCAA had for the, just running the March Madness tournament, right? Wow. So if they don't have that money and the schools aren't getting that kind of money coming in, how, that's revenue that those schools are using to substitute other things and to get the football program and to get the basketball program on. So, you know, when we're looking at the numbers, I mean, they have to figure out a way to get it done. Because there are, what, 288 remaining schools that literally need March Madness just to be relevant. You know, because if, if a team that has a no, that's not in the, pack, in, the, in the Power Five makes it into the tournament and moves up in the tournament, they're not going to get looked at by other people, whether it be others, other, other uh, TV deals, whatever have you. They're going to get, yeah, they're going to get endorsements from that, right? So these little, these little schools need the tournament. And Coach K was talking about it. I think I totally agree with him. Like, they have to figure out a way to put it on. Bubble Orlando. Hopefully, it's open for next year too. <laughs> they gotta do it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm just gonna second what Bernie's saying. Again, it's just try to put something out there because this this is bigger than a lot of other th other things, and the the ramifications are are scary. Um, but with with COVID, COVID will be the ultimate dictator of what happens or what does not happen. True. True. Yeah. Um, so what do you guys think of Steve Nash being the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets? 
I think this, I think KD, like this, so like when I read about this, this news, I was shocked because I didn't even know Steve Nash was even in the running for the position. Like I, I wasn't aware of that. He kept it really down low, like really DL. Uh, but I think like, you know, KD has been kind of quiet lately. So I'm like, whoa, was KD talking to Steve Nash? And I think I heard like KD and Steve Nash are pretty close, like they have a very close history and relationship as well. So, I mean, after seeing that, okay, it makes sense now, but I had no clue that he wanted to be a coach or even coach in the, in the NBA. Um, I think as a player, I think players becoming coaches are a good look. I've always felt that, you know, they have good insight. Um, but I'd be curious to see who he picks. I think he wanted Dirk to be an assistant, but Dirk told him no. Um, is that interested for, for assistant coach? So I'm wondering who he picked to be in the staff. Because I think that would be a big factor. Because Steve Nash, I think, has a good offensive mindset, a head, a, like, like, like headspace for that. But I'm wondering about, like, you know, which, which brains will he put around him on that team? So I was very shocked. But I think it's a good look. You know what I mean? How about you, Sherrod, Bernie? Um, Steve Nash, it's, a, it's interesting. Um, but the, the fact that you brought up um, his connection to, to KD, I just – kind of vaguely remembered when KD was on the Warriors. I think the Warriors did bring Nash in to yes. kind of be like a shooting coach with Steph yeah, and all he that. He was so, a consultant there with the Warriors for two years. Right, right. Yes. So that's how that, that relationship would have would have been built. But um, my angle on this is uh, something I shared in my group chats earlier today um, where Stephen A. Smith from First Stake just, you know, he, he had like a bittersweet kind of angle on it, which is, I love Steve Nash. He's a great guy, super awesome um, accolades from, from his days as a player in the NBA. But when we look at, you know, s systemic racism and uh, injustices amongst, you know, Black people in the world today, this guy has no coaching pedigree whatsoever. You know, and there there is a plethora. There is... Uh, a list of coaches that you can think of who's, you know, you, I, and I can imagine how that conversation goes. Why didn't I get the job? Oh, you, you're just, you haven't been coaching long enough. So give it, give it some more time, some more years. And, you know, and just like that, all the years that you've been given it, all the, you know, maybe you went down to the G League, maybe you went somewhere else and coached and it all mat matters not because this guy is going to get the job over you. And, it's it's very difficult in that space. I'm going to go back to what Nelly was mentioning. Like, Steve Nash as a coach, I can see that blossoming beautifully. I can see that being a great thing. And I can't take that away from the team, right? But when when you look at what coaching is for what it is, it's a job. You're seeing coaches get fired left, right, and center all the time. Mm -hmm. what, why Why are we not considered a little bit more greatly for that job right like we we've been here we've been putting in the time and putting in the effort like why why is that job not offered to us you know so i i think that's that's a little bit of an angle that i want to put on this nothing against steve nash personally but it's i think it's a little bit deeper than that when you look at the landscape of coaching in a lot of the sports leagues not just the nba Right. I, just want to I want to piggyback off of that, actually. Um, I, I actually, I love, well, actually, no. So here it goes like this. Um, I'm a diehard Raptors fan, 
and Brooklyn's in the Eastern Conference. So I would love for Brooklyn to have a horrible coach. Really? Uh, I would. <laughs> that would be, um, sure. I don't want my competition to get better. Okay. Makes sense. Um, being from a Raptors angle. Now, uh, speaking without the Raptor lens, I love the Brooklyn head coach signing of Steve Nash. Um, I hate the timing of it. Um, the timing being is you have a climate right now, like you just mentioned in regards to sports period, uh, black coaches having, uh, being in sports, predominantly black, but not getting to management roles is an issue in today's climate. Um, Steve Nash coming in and being a head coach when you have coaches, uh, Alvin Gentry, um, Jason the list goes on of black coaches who, like you mentioned, is a job, uh, you know, are getting fired and maybe not getting the same leeway as, as mentioned. Uh, Brett Brown, we've mentioned him before, like other white coaches maybe have uh, a little bit more leeway. So I'm not going to make this so much a race thing with Steve Nash, uh, just to the fact that, yes, he's a white coach. Uh, yes, he's he has... Uh, He's walked into a great situation, but it makes sense if you're Brooklyn. KD and Steve Nash have a great relationship. Um, KD, Kyrie needs a point guard uh, that he can that can groom him and, yes. and, and help him be a better point guard in the situation. Um, also, uh, KD needs to remember this is KD's uh, first go at, Bro at Brooklyn, and KD he's a superstar now. He needs to do like all superstars do. If Jordan wants a coach, he's going to get a coach. If LeBron wants a coach, he's going to get a coach. KD needs a coach. KD should choose who he wants. And I have a feeling it wasn't – obviously, the GM was involved also, but they would have had to go to KD. KD, what do you think? KD likes it. It all makes sense. Uh, I think Steve Nash – the only question is this. Uh, just because you're a great player doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. Larry Bird was a great player. He wasn't exactly a Hall of Fame coach, right? So, um, but I'm going to give Steve Nash just the, uh, just the benefit of the doubt, being a point guard and being someone who is smart, who's in a management role already with Team Canada, um, who outside of basketball, you know, he's uh, behind the ownership in regards to uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, I think. he's Like Steve Nash is known to be a very smart man. So I'll give him that... Uh, that benefit of the doubt, but um, I have to say, it's a good, it's a very surprising move. I'm actually happy um, that he's actually going to get the opportunity. Steve Nash himself, I'm just, you know, the timing of it in today's, let me ask you this real quick. If it's not Steve Nash in Brooklyn, who, like, who is it going to be? Like, in other words, all the black coaches out there, I can't say if I heard they're going to Brooklyn, I would be overly impressed. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. I agree with and that. you know what? I think, like you said, I think Katie and Kyrie, because to me, because Katie and Kyrie were involved and they're black athletes and they wanted him, I'm not like, I'm not upset about it, like you mentioned, because, you know, the black players on the team who are the top players on the team, the leaders, they wanted Steve Nash there. So that's why I was like, if they sign off on it, and they're okay with it, then I shouldn't, then I should be okay with it. But to add a stat for you guys, in 2012, the NBA had 14 black head coaches. Today, they have five out of 30 teams. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So the problem is that how do you go from having 14 black head coaches in 2012 to having five? So right. it's not just deep that, but I feel like overall, the NBA has to do a better job, like you mentioned, Fahim, in hiring more people of color in management and coaching positions. More of our of people like, of, like you know, because there's a problem here. And again, right, the owners may have a say, but there's a problem happening. So hopefully they can try to get more people of color as coaches. That's just right. my take on, on that. And no, you're right, Nelly. The, the problem is that it, it's, it's systemic. Like you're talking about a lot of these owners are not black and brown people. All right. So sometimes when you have an industry where the leadership group and the folks who own these industries, whether it's NFL, NBA, um, MLB, when ownership looks a certain way, they hire a certain way. And that's just subconscious. That's not even something that they're actively saying, hey, we want to have yeah. coaches or black coaches. It's, no, this is a system. That's how it's built. Look at the NFL coaching system. It's the exact same way. So for the coach, for Steve Nash, I mean, I think, again, like Fahim said, it's timing. I think he's the, uh, one of the best candidates for the job. And let's, let's be honest. We've seen Steve Kerr get a job without experience. We've seen Mark Jackson get a job without experience. We've seen folks come in that are players get jobs, Jason Kidd, without experience. So that's not the, the, that's not the, the, the argument we're going to die on. And I'm not going to say it's white privilege. You don't, I don't agree with that part. But what I do agree with is that he is a good candidate for this job. It's Brooklyn. It's New York. So, you know, New York is woke about a lot of things. This seems like it was a decision the players had to have a, a, a say in. And going forward, we want ownership to start thinking differently. And that's where this argument has to be. It's not about Steve. It's not his fault. No. Just to kind of put a point on top of, of what you just said about owners thinking differently. Um, in, in my friend circles, I've kind of been, when I speak about things that may seem jarring or jaw-dropping, if you will, um, I speak about them with a confidence, with a, with a way of looking at it, because to me, it's about perspective. If we don't even believe that we can do these things, how we even get there? So to your po point, Bernie, it's not about owners thinking differently. It's about us becoming owners. Period. And that's Most literally up. where we need to get Most to. Yeah, we have Michael Jordan, mm -hmm. um, but why is it only Michael Jordan? And within the Black community, there's tons of players who were responsible with their money that can make this happen. But it, maybe we have to come together a little better to make it happen. But it needs to start happening. Like, we need to be in the position to make that call of who we want as a coach because we own the team and not just, you know, trying to play for the team. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point, man. Nelly J, what you got for For the Culture? So for the culture, y'all, so for the culture, this segment today, we want to do a, a bit different. We want to kind of honor our fallen soldiers that happened this past week. So we, so we want everyone to kind of talk about the contributions. And so first I want to do a little snippet. We'll do first Chadwick Boseman, okay? So Chadwick passed away August 28th. He was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2016. It progressed to stage four in, and before 2020, and he never told anyone about it publicly, about his cancer diagnosis. Like, no one knew. During his treatment, though, he did surgeries, he had chemotherapy, and he still worked. Chadwick filmed several movies like Marshall's, The Five Bloods, Marini's uh, Black Bombs coming out soon, and, as you know, the Avenger movies, right, for, um, for Marvel. Um, he died in his home with his wife and family on his side. But one thing that Chadwick did say was that the project that he ended up doing he, he, or involved in, he said that he wanted to be impact 
for the most part to my people, to black people, to see black people in ways which you have not seen before. So Black Panther for him was on his radar even before he got casted for that role. So I wanna get your thoughts about Chadwick's contribution to the black community. When you saw Black Panther or his movies, what are your thoughts? And just, you know, kind of what contribution do you think he's made in your life and to the black community? So I'll start with you, Sherard. This is it's a really dope topic and um a dope person to to talk about. I'm I'm gonna put it put it out there very early. I'm not the the movie connoisseur type guy that has all the movies on deck, but I'm one hundred and ten percent a Black Panther guy. You know, opening week in theaters, all of that. But uh, but I think um I, I, my perspective on on Chadwick is my perspective you know when i when i did the intro and i said you know my most important title is is being a dad um in in that regard what what black panther represents for our community on a whole is a lot larger than you know even chadwick himself right but to to have an understanding of his role in that and you know he's he's the face of the black panther he is the guy that is is recognized and i saw someone either posted a tweet or something on social media um there was a little boy and he had all the black panther action figures beside him and he had his arms upon his chest and tears coming down his face right and that image alone says says a lot about the world that we live in i my my daughters you know come to me and they're crying about you know my hair is like this or i don't look like any of the disney princesses etc right and how many of us grew up watching you know the comics and watching superheroes and never really having anyone to truly identify with chadwick gave us that we have that that is there it, you can pull up that black panther movie and that is a superhero that looks like you that that talks like you that you can connect with directly and it matters. It's such a huge um, impact on, on the world, right? So I don't have sons that can, you know, connect with the male character of the Black Panther, but I know there's a lot of young boys who, like me when I was a kid, have someone that they can see on the big screen that's all over the world globally and identify with to say like, this guy represents me as a superhero. I can be a superhero. I can be the coolest guy out. Like I matter in that in that regard. And you know, outside of Black Panther and all the other movies that Chadwick did, and just you know, keeping it a secret for that length of time while just working and and you you can't. There's not much you can say about that dedication and what he wanted his life to be about. And in his memory, I think we're seeing that now. I don't want the, oh, woe is me. I was sick. I was hampered. It was, the, I'm a hard worker through anything. I'm going to deliver. How about you, Bernie? Your thoughts on Chadwick's uh, passing and his impact? I'll start with action. So I saw that movie four times in the, in the first three days. And the reason why I saw it four times is because I wanted the numbers to represent how I felt about it. That was the first movie that I've seen in my life that represented black people and African people in a way that was on the big screen like I've never seen. You know, I, I think to me that changed the way that we viewed it. And, I, and it sort of became the litmus test for all other black movies after that. 
I was saying, okay, what Black Panther did when it comes to the way that they represented the family structure, the way they represented even the villain had a level of ethics to him. Like mm -hmm. they were character developing every character in Black Panther where, you know, it's not just, oh, well, this Black person is going to play to the social norms of Black people. No, they played to what our culture was about. And that's why it resonated with so many people, whether you were from Africa, America, Canada, as long as you're black or brown or just anybody that appreciated Marvel, you were like, wow. Because again, this movie was big in Asia as well, just so you guys know. It's not just a black and white thing. This is a world thing. So, you know, Chadwick is the face of that. And, you know, I'm so appreciative for him and the team and like that entire cast, even like the everybody, director from the top to bottom, that entire cast did something for our community where they showed us as we are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm in depth and no that stereotypes, not, you, can, yep. you can take you can't take it away that's now on silver screen that's now in forever mode because mm -hmm. it's on tv so i, I appreciate chatter for that We're, we lost a good one but i think his what he represents is going to now be a seed that's planted amongst all of those young kids that now see this and they're going to grow from it so i think he left us with the best gift of all so i appreciate it i agree it. i agree uh so yeah he, he didn't have a long run uh, but he left his mark, uh, is legendary, I'd have to say. Um, I remember first time, my first time seeing him was in 42, the Jackie Robinson story, which was a sports-related really? show. And I remember watching that, me going in, not knowing who this guy was. And all I knew was, oh, he kind of looks like Jackie Robinson. Let me see the movie. And his acting was like A1. And I, I left saying, whoa, like, this guy's good. Um, I just think of, so, Christopher Reeves. We know Christopher Reeves is Superman, right? Outside of Superman, I can't think of anything else Christopher Reeves has done. Like, we know him as Superman, right? Um, but that's his legacy, Superman. I think what he, uh, Chadwick did in regards to, uh, for T'Challa uh, in in Wakanda, I think that's going to be um, our version of Superman. Like, there's so many different, um, so many different age groups, and so many different demographics that he's hit. That um, he's left such a strong legacy behind, and I think it's very noble of how he did it, knowing he's going to this, um, and just keeping it focused and true to who he is to the core which is about his people. So he left an amazing legacy. And um, yeah, I just, you know, it's great that, that uh, we can actually sit here and actually think that he's gone, but he's, he's not gonna be forgotten, you know? Will forever live on. And just to kind of close off um, our, our impact with Chadwick, I wanna make a note that um, when Chadwick, when they first approached him with Black Panther, they wanted T'Challa, okay? These are the producers, the money makers that weren't black. They wanted T'Challa to have a British accent, okay? Mm. So Chadwick and Ryan, you know, the, the screenwriter and director, they were adamant and said, if Wakanda was never touched by, you know, colonization, how can, how can people Wakanda have, a, have an accent of, of English or American accent? So he fought for our culture. He fought and said, listen, everyone, move, everyone from Wakanda must have an authentic African accent and, and, and Chadwick flew to South Africa, got him a dialect coach to speak the way he spoke in that movie. So that shows his dedication and uh, commitment to our community. 
most actors you know t'challa's a big is, is marvel is disney he's like no i don't care about this character but we must keep it authentic so thank you chadwick for pushing for that i think hearing the different um nigerian dialects um kenyan um that we, we heard in the movie really brought it to life because mm -hmm. imagine hearing like t'challa sounding like, like like from english like yeah. It's no sense. So that just shows you Chadwick's integrity, his spirit, and how he was committed to telling Black stories that would impact our lives. So Chadwick, we thank you for your mm -hmm. contribution. Jackie, for you know, he played uh, Forty Two Robinson. He played, you know, um, um, he played many like like traditional and historical roles that will live on forever. So we thank you, uh, Chadwick, um, for your contributions. So the next um, person I want to kind of bring up is, I would say, one of the most impactful coaches in, of all time, uh, John Thompson, uh, the first Black NCAA coach to ever win, okay, a championship. And he coached, not only that, he coached five Hall of Famers, okay, five of them. He coached Allen Iverson, Alonzo Mourning, the Kembe Mutombo, and Patrick Ewing as the head coach of Georgetown. Um, and of course he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1999. So what's your impact of seeing a black coach back in the day doing what he did um, in NCAA? Um, just a quick, you know, impact of seeing someone like him looking like you doing what he did. So Sherrard, you go go first. I mean, we're talking about the first black coach to ever win a NCAA title. Like that, in, that alone in itself says a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um john thompson's impact um for me is is more of the the, the story of alan iverson right now um, and it's impactful to me because i'm i'm a kobe guy and if you're a kobe guy you know ai and kobe went head to head and ai has there's an imprint that alan iverson has on basketball without championships that can never be taken away from him because of who he was and what he's done for the sport. So bringing it back to, to Thompson, the story, the story is in back in um, high school or whatever, Alan Iverson was being scouted and all of that. And, you know, the living where he is living, doing what he's doing, got into some trouble and lost everything, lost his scholarships, lost his opportunities. And he went to John Thompson and he begged him, just please, just give me, give me a chance, you know? And the word that I underlined um, discussing John Thompson is grace. There's, there's a level of grace that you have to have and compassion for people to look beyond all their faults and say, okay, you know what? I believe your story. I believe what you're telling me and I'm going to give you a shot. And if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't give Allen Iverson grace, we never get to see what that kid can, can become. Mm -hmm. And we can only imagine the countless of kids who are growing up in some of these tougher neighborhoods that never got that grace and that opportunity to showcase their, their talents on the, the world stage. So talking about John Thompson to me is, is the lives he impacted, it's not just Alan Iverson, there's countless of lives. The relationship that he had with those kids were very personal. It wasn't a distant, like, I'm just your coach. No, I'm, I'm gonna take care of you on a deeper level. And 
again, the word to underline is grace. That grace that you have for other human beings to give them an opportunity when no one else would to allow them the chance to develop into what they're supposed to develop into is something that's beautiful to watch. And that's his legacy to me, his grace. Nice. Awesome. Bernie. Trailblazer, role model. I think John Thompson, what he did for black people and for brown people, especially athletes back in the 80s. I mean, you're talking about a time where racism was still a big thing. You're talking about a time where they saw black athletes as just athletes, not student athletes, you know, just folks that are here to perform and do what they do and that that's it. Who cares about your grades? And he challenged these kids, you know, he was hard. He was not an easy coach to play for and ask anyone that played for him. He cussed, he made sure that they knew that if they weren't doing well, they heard it. You know, he was very tough on them, but he also had that love. You know, they called him Big John, why? Because he was that guy. You know, he could yell at you today and then love on you the next day because he knows that he wants you. He has your best interest at heart. And a coach like him, he impacted folks, whether it's announcers, whether it was the players that have gone through his league, whether it's the other students at the school, Georgetown, like his impact is so far beyond basketball. And that's when you know that you're, again, you're trailblazing. And that, that's what he did for the entire, all black coaches after him, to be quite honest, because he literally led the way. After winning that championship, it was like, wow, not only am I able to have these quality players, but I can also have the intelligence to win a championship. So you now know, don't just assume that we can't coach because we're black. Don't assume that we can't do these roles because we're black. He literally trailblazed us for all that. So all the coaches that came after him that are black, you know who to thank. So he's, he's and I had a George, Georgetown Hoyas uh, hoodie. So, I mean, I, that was before I even knew about basketball. So he was already impacting folks in Canada too. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How about you, Fahim? Your, your, your thoughts on Big John? John Thompson. Um, so growing up, um, I was pretty young, but I remember the Ewing uh, Ewing Georgetown days. So um, all I can think about with John Thompson is he had this father figure type uh, feel. I never knew him, obviously. Um, it's kind of like in, in time stamp. Like I remember even watching television. You used to watch the Cosby show and there's something about Bill, Bill Cosby. Um, there was that influence he had that you had that even though you never knew him, uh, the father figure it really resonated with you, right? Uh, I felt John Thompson had that same kind of feel, like the way he handled his his uh, his players, um, and just what he did in regards to. You think of, uh, like you said, Ewing, uh, Alonzo Mourning, uh, Matumbo, uh, the big men. Like he was like it, it, him being a big man himself. I felt he knew how to um, how to, how to nurture these next next big man coming up and i really admired that one thing i didn't know and i just found this out recently was he was he was a backup center for the boston celtics he was back to be backed up bill russell back when they went i had no idea i always knew him as a coach i had no idea that he was a player also so you know it's funny how you know these things after people in the past but i mean like um yeah john thompson uh, nothing but respect for john thompson uh, and also, as, as you mentioned, Charter, in regards to Allen Iverson, uh, how we handle the AI, um, you know, we're talking about Chadwick and John Thompson, two people that just really uh, left their legacy and left their mark. Absolutely. Like, they're for the culture. Their impact, I think, will be endless. And, you know, they really, imp like, was the, their impact to the Black community, to our confidence, 
you know, like Bernie mentioned, not just players, but we can actually coach. We have the intellect to coach. Um, and I really like the fact that they, they, they were very adamant in how they coached. They were adamant on making the right calls and having grace, but also making sure that what they did was impactful. Because even after John Thompson retired, he was on the radio. He had his own show. Like, he was doing stuff to contribute to players and coaches and to the mindset. So he kept working until, like, his, his last breath. So John Thompson, thank you. Chadwick, thank you. All right. Mm -hmm. So that's a wrap to our For the Culture. So now we'll uh, go to That's Absurd, Fahim. That's Absurd. So Eddie Curry, ex-NBA player. Baby Shaq. Eddie... <laughs> that's his name. Right? I won't lie. Right? They called him Baby Shaq back in the day. Um, Eddie Curry, kind of too much, uh, like, his career wasn't, it didn't pan out to be uh, what we kind of hoped early out. Um, he kind of phased out. But what I did find is Eddie Curry after he retired. Just in the news recently, Eddie Curry, he has, uh, there's a lawsuit against him by his male limo driver um, who has a sexual assault uh, alleged, I want to throw allegedly all over this. Yes, allegedly. Allegedly. Alleged. Uh, everything. <laughs> uh, circumstance with his male limo driver. Um, now, that's completely, like, that's absurd in itself. But also, he's fought, run into financial problems also, which is absurd, but not as absurd as you'd actually think when we talk about pro athletes. Um, so I just want to throw out in regards to uh, you know, obviously your thoughts in regards to Eddie Curry uh, with the, uh, the, the, the claim that's against him, but also um, what the financial problem that he's having also, if any insight in we guys have to say about that also. Yeah, and like, just so guys, Eddie Curry is not Steph Curry's brother, right? They're not related. No, so. no. Oh, no. Oh, Curry, Curry. No, they are not. not. Related. No. They're not even no, on the same no affiliation, no connection. No relation at all. <laughs> but Eddie Curry was supposed to be like a, a huge prospect. Baby Shaq, his size is built. He was supposed to be the next Shaq of the time. And he was a huge bust. Let's be real, Fahim. He busted out like. Yeah, he came the same time as. um. Tyson Chandler, I remember. I both at the same time. Was drafted in 01, I believe? I'm not sure. I can't remember the year. But I just remember Tyson Chandler came at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously Tyson Chandler went on to have a great career, you know. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Curry, not so much. That's all. Yeah. So I just feel like with Eddie Curry, um, it's just a, a, a tale of black pro athletes that, and, you know, just so you guys know, Eddie Curry opted. So he could have went to college first and then the NBA, right? He said at the time, He's like, I don't want no college. I want to get paid, right? So like Kobe, like played before him, he went straight from um, high school to MBA, which I think looking back was a bad call because he didn't get the literacy that he needed to understand how to manage his money, right? Let's be real. He wasn't the smartest guy. Let's be real. And it sucks because this man, I think he made over $70 million in his career and salary-wise, and now he's in debt. Like, how is that possible? And, again, it's absurd because, I mean, all of us, give us give us 70 million, each of us, I, I don't think we'll be in debt in 10 years after. I think we'll all be still millionaires. But it's just so, sad that there's many athletes that have made millions, and when they retire and when they come out, they're in debt. And it's just, I, I, it, it's like something where we really need our, our these, these athletes who are getting paid millions to understand 
financial literacy. And I'm not sure if it's the agent's fault. I'm not sure if it's his family's fault, but I did see that his expenses went towards his cable bill, $1,000. I think he supported his family, like 17 grand a month. Like his bills were outrageous. And well, this, again, this is why we need Wealth Wednesdays. Yeah. And the way <laughs> podcast, y'all, the plug in, the way podcast, but like, again, I, it's sad that one of Black Athlete makes it, makes it up there. Plus, Eddie Curry had seven children, seven kids. So just so much expenses. And it, it's really absurd that we've heard the story before of athletes not financially taking care of their money. And it's sad. It's just a sad story to, to hear about. It's, it's, go ahead, Sherrod Bernie. I mean, I'll, I'll take the lead on this one, Sherrod. Let me, let me hit this real yeah, quick. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So this is not a, 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 this is a common problem amongst professional athletes, especially black and brown athletes. In the, NBA, in the NFL, for example, 3.3 years is all it takes for players to go broke. 78% of NFL retired players go broke in 3.3 years, literally. So this 78%. is not a basketball. 78% wow. of players go broke within three years of retirement. And 15% of them file bankruptcy within 12 years after retirement. So, you know, professional athletes, I think the problem is, again, you know, and what we talk about on Wealth Wednesdays is really how to create wealth. And to create wealth, you have to do two things, really. One is invest your money in something that is going to grow. <laughs> and two... Don't spend money on things that you don't need to spend it on. And I think when you have $70 million, that got spent down on something. Now, was it spent down on an asset or spent down on an expense? You said cable bill, $1,000. That's an expense. I'm sure, I'm sure he, he spent. But again, these, these athletes don't always have uh, the right people in their corners because, again, they have a very show-show type of environment where it's about, hey, you have a Viper. Well, I have a Corvette. or Well, I have a Lambo. And they do this thing where their ego and their – and this is not all athletes, again, by the way. This is not all athletes. This is just the some who have never been, you know, wise with money prior to making millions. And then they started getting all of these requests. Someone wanted to get $10,000 loans or they wanted to help them with this business deal. And they're using their money in all these different ways, but they're not doing the right thing by it in order to make sure it doesn't run out. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's extreme, but it's not, it's, 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 I've seen it before. And I think the only way that we're going to stop it is if we start teaching our young kids before they go to college, how to save, how to invest, how to respect money how to know that 10% of whatever you make should always be put aside and the rest 20% should be put towards paying your debt and 70% is all you live on. Like we have to start teaching our young kids that because when they become athletes and professional athletes at that, they may be in a place where they have all this money without the wisdom. And without the wisdom, your money goes away. So we got to give them that before they get there. So his story, uh, I've, I've seen it before. I mean, it's pretty extreme, but it's not uncommon. Yeah, 100%. Oh. My, my take on this might be, <laughs> might be absurd in itself um <laughs> and not 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 in a way of me not in a way of me disagreeing with um any of the comments about it before but it, when it comes to things like this i always i don't know my thoughts go a little bit deeper right uh, i'll hark, harken back to myself in my younger days you know i'm working at a call center making uh, i don't know what were we making 10 bucks an hour eight bucks Not ten dollars uh, by 12 five, i don't know eight, <laughs> right whatever eight like it, it wasn't it wasn't anything astronomical but i'm i'm in a car with 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 my cousin with my cousin Marlon, friend of the show by the way um yeah. and we're going to philadelphia we're going to new york and and i'm dropping a thousand dollars on my credit card a thousand dollars that I don't have, 
essentially, <laughs> but I gotta be fly. Like I got all the gear, you know, I'm nice. And I, I'm only saying that to say, it, it's that whole, the mindset and the concept is coming from a place of not having. If you, if you don't have, right? And we live in a world where everything is plastered in front of our face of this is what cool looks like. This is what um, looking nice looks like. This is how, this is what living it up looks like, right? So all your aspirations is to be like that, but no one takes the time to break down how you get there in a logical, responsible way. It's just about getting there, right? So, you know, you think about, you know, homes that go for foreclosure, people, you know, bankruptcy, repossession of assets and all of these things. It comes from that place of, I'm just going to go get it because that's what's important now without the understanding of how to get there. And within our community, I mean, like if you're, I don't know Eddie Curry's background in in that regard like if he grew up in the hood without anything but that's usually the assumption with a lot of these NBA guys is that they're good at the sport but they come from really tough upbringings so when you get there and now you have 70 mil or whatever it, it's it's 70 mil that's not just for you but it's for all of these people around you that need you they need you know help they need a place to live they need so you're spending 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 but the key to what Bernie just said is investing. I cannot help you get out the hood. I can't help you live a better life unless I put myself in a position to help you where if this money is being invested and it's growing and we're making money, when I'm giving back to you, if I'm buying you a house, if I'm doing whatever, it's because there's three or four other houses that I own in my name that are generating revenue for me, that's giving me money to do that. But it, it's it's a process about financial literacy. The reason why I said it might be a little absurd from my viewpoint is because I think it needs to be taken away from the players. I think, like maybe it's the 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 players' association or some somewhere above. There needs to be some kind of you know program that restricts your money. You can get the big contract, you can have the money, but there needs to be something that restricts you from having full access to everything until a time that you know, you're ready. And the other key point to, to this conversation that we have to take into account is a lot of these guys, when they start getting this money, Eddie Curry, perfect example. If you, if you came straight out of high school, you didn't even go to college, you're still a teenager with millions. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's just, the the system is set up for you to fail there's yeah. people around you that are you know your it could be your agent it could be whomever who's trying to get you to you know put your money in things that benefit them whatever the case is right um so for my take on it i think we need to take control of the situation because to, for bernie to tell me that we're at you know um 80 of these players are going bankrupt in three years that that is astronomical so That's it's clear that you should not you should not have the responsibility of all this money if 80 percent of you are squandering it that quickly so we need to come up with a program something that that's going to help these guys in the long run get to where they need to get to and attain their goals in a responsible way buy your mom a house but maybe you need to get her 
uh, a detached house in a decent neighborhood, not a mansion in Beverly Hills that you can't even afford. You know what I mean? Like, sorry, can I add that, to that just real quick? Just go ahead. Go ahead. Like, your what you're so you don't want a trust fund for the NBA players. What you really want is for ownership to say, "Hey guys, just like our regular jobs, here's a 401k for your salary. You're going to get 70 million. 10 million should go into here for you to use as a retirement, and the like, rest should be paid to like you." Some type like of, I mean, after years, right? That's all I wanted to say. I mean, I think that, yeah, what you're thinking on is amazing, but will they want to do that is the question. Right. No, that, even to 80% do that, says you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. At 80%, yeah. Yeah. You have to understand, these, these are players that um, a lot of them maybe come from situ well, actually, so I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should, okay. If you come from a situation where you don't have money, um, just the allure of having that opportunity to have money, it changes your world, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think now that might have been maybe this the story for uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago. I just think now this new generation that we have, we do have players that maybe are maybe are coming from second uh, second middle class middle class mm -hmm. neighborhoods. Um, now, um, maybe more than maybe we might have had 30, 40 years ago, right? Um, so maybe their idea of money um, might be changing a, maybe a little bit because of the fact that they are, they're approaching money differently because maybe they might have been around money more in their lives. Um, but I do think it's still hard to tell a young person who doesn't have money, um, you know what to do with that money because to them they've worked hard to get to this point so they can have the money in the first place right yeah. and if they're adults you know you, you can't tell them you know you know go to a call center but we're going to tell you how much you're going to make uh or how much you're going to actually be able to spend after spending time at the call center we can't expect for these young athletes you know go out and play and we're going to tell you the amount that you can actually use so um i we're all on the same page with this. It's just, um, just the fact that Eddie Curry, after 10 years, is broke, and that seems to be the same song from all professional, 80% of the NBA. Um, it's absurd, uh, and it's something that has to change, and hopefully over time we can get that, that number down. Yes, and, and I think the NBA, get me wrong, I think the NBA actually has a program in place by the NBAP, where they're trying to teach financial literacy. And I'm happy that, you know, right. like James Harden, right. you saw like, we've seen Harden Durant invest their money in teams. Like we're seeing good examples, Michael Jordan, a good example. Great so I'm example. hoping that, you know, as more of these, like, you know, like Magic mentors players, Jordan does, Kobe did. I'm hoping that these players, when they retire, that are still millionaires are mentoring these players on not only just on the court, but off the court. And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll see more of this, but, that's absurd. Like, mm -hmm. Curry, I'm going to pray for so, you both. You just mentioned Michael Jordan. Just recently, Michael Jordan, he, he, he just, you know, DraftKings. The yes, I saw that. <laughs> well, Michael Jordan, he's a consultant of some, some kind with DraftKings. Um, real quick, so we know Michael Jordan's background in regards to gambling in the first place, right? He enjoys that. Uh, oh, yes, he does. <laughs> so, you love um, <laughs> we would, you know, I can't tell Michael Jordan what to do, right? <laughs> but you would kind of figure um, I would be a lot, maybe a lot more impressed if Michael Jordan was doing something that was, I think, progressive 
for the literacy of the next generation. I don't know if um, getting no, in regards to with DraftKings, I don't know how how beneficial it is or the strategy of um, of betting um, as in a form as as a form of investment. Um, I don't know. You know, Bernard, what do you think? It's not an investment of any kind. I think I agree. You look at gambling. Um, that's more of a game of risk than it is a game of, of skill. Reward, right. Investment is, is, is skill and it's usually something that you learn over time and by, you know, doing it right, doing it wrong. There's a system that you can use. Whereas gambling, it's luck of the draw. I mean, that's right. basically risking your money at the roulette table. That, that, that's not a financial plan. I'll tell you that right now. It's not. And if you look at the demographic, you know, a lot of them I'm a, probably are male. And they really target a young demographic, right? So you have young people now, opposed to putting it in maybe a solid mutual fund or a stock, say, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna bet on the, you know, the Rockets OKC game. You know what I'm saying? It's just, mm -hmm. um, and it's not, maybe I am knocking Michael Jordan. I, I would have been like, I would have been a lot more impressed hearing that he was part of something that had to do with money, uh, that I thought could be more beneficial for, uh, for the younger generation opposed to being in the gambling scene, that's all. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll wait to see if he does. Maybe he does have something. I haven't looked into it, but that's a good point to bring up that he now, I think he's a mentor on the, I think he's on the board, something like that. Yeah, well, some, yeah. Something like that, yeah. All right, y'all, so you guys were just, um, thank you for joining us, guys, on episode three for Good Rookies. That's our episodes wrapped <laughs> um normally before our guests head out we like to have a few shout outs that you guys can make so it could be to anything anyone any place but we want you guys to get opportunity to shout anyone or anything out uh, before you guys head out so yeah who wants to go first Gerard or Bernard Gerard you can go first <laughs> Gerard oh man shout outs to, to be honest and as corny as this may sound, my, my shout out literally goes to my wife right now who I can hear my daughter upstairs screaming and she's like, I, I do not want to be dealing with this right now. So, <laughs> it's, you know, shout, shout out to my wife, shout out to the family and uh, the, the point that we're making about these guys, this NBA guys and their financial backgrounds and whatever, just having a nuclear family sometimes fixes that. Not fixes, but changes that perspective so shout outs to all the the parents who are there um being that representative for their kids and um giving them the financial literacy that they need and you know i'll give a, i'll give another shout out to, to to our madden league uh we're out here getting <laughs> these games in <laughs> it's a good time you're, you're commissioned about to put the hammer down <laughs> black roger black roger <laughs> All right. Well, I guess for me, I want to shout out Fahim and Nelly. Uh, thank you guys for the opportunity to come on here and uh, just, you know, kick it with you guys. I, I love this podcast. I've listened to it since you started. So I appreciate what you guys are putting out. Content's real. It hits, hits home, which I appreciate. And I also want to shout out, um, you know, theway.com, which is uh, our nonprofit. You know, we do a lot of things with financial literacy relationships and philanthropy and um we have a uh, wealth wednesdays every wednesday so you know if you guys want to learn some things about money 
you know, just check us out. But I want to shout out to you guys and then to that, because I feel like as a community, we have to grow with knowledge and wisdom uh, and understanding. And I think you guys are doing that in the sports world. And, um, you know, we just got to continue to have these conversations, make them more normalized. And I think we're doing that tonight. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Not a problem. And thewaygut.com, you want to spell it out to make sure? Yeah, it's uh, the and then way has an accent on it. Accent, uh, I think it's accent grab. But if you want, just follow us at the way podcast on Instagram. You can just, you know, you'll find us through that. But um, we'll, we'll be putting out some serious content. We actually have an interview with Crazy Legs coming up. So, you know, he's a B-boy. So we got some stuff coming, got some heat. So, okay. Huge. Nice. Um, so I'll do my shout out. I would like to shout out our guests, Sherard and Benarj. Thank you for being on the podcast. We talk about sports all the time. So it was good to have you guys on here. Drop some knowledge, drop some insight. Thank you for being on Canon, for being real and bringing, bringing the raw energy. I loved it. Um, I want to shout out, um, y'all see my hair did. I want to shout out Tiffany Dawn. She got it going on. I'm my t-shirt as well. Tiffany Dawn. Check her out. Tiffany Dawn, your hair bestie. She's on YouTube. She mm. gives you all the best hair tips as well on Instagram. So check her out. Those are my nice. shout outs. Nice. <laughs> um, my shout out is actually maybe abstract, but something I came across. I want to shout him out. I want to shout the RZA. Ooh. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but the reason why is Weather's starting to change now. We're getting out of, we're transitioning from summer to fall. Um, the ice cream truck, as you know, uh, the jingle or the chime that we all know is the universal ice cream truck, um, it actually stems from a racist song dating yes. back to the 1930s, I think. But it, the, the chime um, has, uh, it's definitely 100% racial. And it's been come to light maybe the last few years. And good humor. The ice cream uh, company has actually worked with the RZA to change the chime uh, that we know of as the ice cream shop. Uh, RZA, he's just changed it. So you can actually see it online, actually. We're on YouTube. So if you have time and you want to hear the new jingle for the, for the summer, because that seems to be the summer anthem that we all know, uh, it's going to get a little spin and the RZA is behind it. Heard it? Sounds pretty fresh. If you have a, sh a chance, check it out. Is, is it is it kind of like a, a hip-hop jingle yeah, like is, yeah, it, it's, it's, is it's, it the same jingle by hip-hop no it's 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 the, the same it's it's a jingle but it has uh -huh. a it has a uh you know okay a, but it's not the it. same jingle no 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 got it okay yeah the, the reason why i asked is because the, the the ice cream truck in my neighborhood comes around and it's a hip-hop ice cream truck jingle oh, i mean no it way. sounds it sounds dope uh -huh. but <laughs> I'm also kind of like, what is, <laughs> is this the bootleg version? All like, right. <laughs> because we, we all know what, what, what's happening within our culture, right? You put a hip hop spin on anything, you're selling right. out, right? So, right? so maybe that might even speak to it. Maybe they, maybe you heard the actual RZA version and that's a possibility. Right. But that, if you're saying it's different, because it's 100% the identifiable ice cream truck mm -hmm. jingle, it right. just has like a hip hop baseline. And a and a beat, you know, mm. behind it, like it's it's thumping, like right. you're coming through, and you're you're kind of like, all right, all right. <laughs> pull, pull over, pull over. <laughs> yeah. So shout out to Good Humor and RZA for that. Shout I'll out. Check that out. Shout oh. out. All right. 
Thanks guys for joining us. Uh, please share your thoughts, comments. I'm gonna have all of the fellas that are on here, all their connections, all their information. So you can follow the way, follow Sherard, the switch, definitely check them out. That's right. Uh, so thanks, uh, uh, Bernard. Thanks, Sherard, for coming. Uh, this is episode three in the books. Uh, don't forget, please uh, like, share, subscribe the video. Uh, be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, anywhere else you see for your podcasts. Uh, we're there, Good Rookies Podcast. Are we out? Peace. <laughs>